welcome back to Walk With Bex. One week, back to it, and where has my focus gone now that my competitive season has ended? Well, I don't think it ever truly ends, but instead of, you know, going through that phase of prep, I'm now entering a new phase and the focus is different. I know that it's very common to feel those kind of post-show blues and to lose focus, motivation and drive once prep is over and shows are done. But for me, I think I've learned over the years to switch my focus and really hone in on another aspect of my fitness journey, maybe focus on other daily tasks that contribute to my business and spend quality time with loved ones. This was why I took a full week off last week, straight after my show. I needed to reflect and I needed to be ready to zone in on my next goal. With regards to fitness, it's my improvement season and making sure I get my body back to a healthy state, that I increase my food, I maximize my training and my recovery again. With regards to business, it's about developing the other areas which I've been wanting to work on for some time, like my business coaching clients and building that part of my business. When it comes to relationships, it's about giving back more time to those I perhaps didn't spend as much time with during prep when I was tired and laser focused on training and all of that stuff. So in today's episode, I thought it might be good to discuss this idea of what next and kind of share with you guys how I switch my focus but more importantly how I stay focused and some of the strategies that I use. So when one chapter ends how do we embark on another? How do we learn how to switch our focus but still remain focused? I've been reading this book this last week called Hyper Focus by Chris Bailey I'll put the link in the show notes below so that you can look it up and you might want to buy it after this. That's completely up to you. But in this book, he talks about how to work less and achieve more, which is relatable to all aspects of life, whether it be business, fitness or relationships. I love the way that he breaks down each chapter in a particular practical way and he splits the book up into two main areas. He talks about hyperfocus and then he talks about scatter focus, both of which are explained in terms of how our brains work. He even starts the book off by preparing you for how to read it so that you can remain focused throughout on what he's describing and you can get most out of it. I know I found this helpful as too often when I read, my mind does wander and I have to really remind myself to focus in on what I'm reading in order to take it all in and apply it where possible. The reason I'm sharing this with you guys is because I feel there are so many moments in our lives where we need to hyper-focus on something and so often we need to shift our focus and find ways of maximising our brain power, our time, our energy and our effort. In today's episode, I want to take you through the first five chapters of the book and give you an overview of each of them, sharing my experience on each topic as much as I possibly can and see if it will help you in some way. So the five chapters are as follows. Switching off autopilot mode, the limits of your attention, the power of hyperfocus, taming distractions and making hyperfocus a habit. So let's get right into it. 
Chapter one talks about switching off autopilot mode. So what is autopilot mode? Well, brain scans have revealed that when your mind wanders, it switches into autopilot mode, enabling you to carry on doing tasks quickly, accurately, without any real conscious thought. And our autopilot mode seems to be run by a set of brain structures called default mode network. Now, autopilot allows us to keep up with the demands of our daily life, which is great. Deliberate things that require little thinking, like buying milk, brushing your teeth, you know, taking out rubbish. Our autopilot mode guides us through these tasks without thinking intentionally about them, because I would say 40%, 50% of our daily actions are all habits like this. It would be great to live our lives 100% intentionally, but this is kind of near impossible unless you are a monk and you're able to meditate all day, every day. However, some daily decisions need to be made with intention, and this is where autopilot needs to shift and we need to manage our attention in a slightly different way. But the environments in which we live and work have their own agenda for sure. And our attention is claimed by all sorts of things, you know, alerts and notifications, which kind of create this like steady stream of interruptions, not allowing us to really dive into one specific thing fully. It's like you listening to this podcast episode right now. There'll be times that you're fully focused on the words that I'm saying, but maybe there are other times that your mind is wondering. Perhaps you're out for a walk at the moment and you're distracted by what you see in front of you. Maybe you're listening to this whilst you're doing, I don't know, the washing up and you've got a busy house of kids running around. You know, how much of your attention are you directing to this podcast episode in this very moment? It's not unusual to have a hard time focusing because there are countless everyday examples of how little control we have over our attention in our daily lives. Things about how our mind refuses to shut off when we go to bed, like how incredible ideas and insights spring to mind whilst our mind wanders in the shower, how we find ourselves forgetting what we walked into a room for when we enter it. I do that all the time. (laughs) How we can't seem to focus on something when we really want to. In this book, the author describes four types of tasks that we complete. He talks about necessary work, and that's tasks that are, generally speaking, unattractive, but productive. So things like team meetings or calls about budgets or strategies. We usually have to push ourselves to do these tasks. Then he talks about unnecessary work, tasks that are both unproductive and unattractive. So like filing papers or tidying up your desktop on the computer. We don't usually do these tasks unless we're procrastinating. He talks about distracting work, which is stimulating, but unproductive. For example, scrolling on social media um, and attending to low return distractions. These activities can be fun, but should be managed in small doses, he says. And then he talks about purposeful work. And he says that this is the productive sweet spot the tasks that we were put on this earth to do. Doing work in this category requires more brain power 
And often we are better at these tasks than anyone else. So in order to direct your attention to the most important things and switch off autopilot mode, you must learn to sustain your attention there in order to make it through the day. We are what we pay our attention to. So then in chapter two, he talks about the limits of our attention. And he talks about the boundaries of attention, explains that whilst our attention is the most powerful tool we have to live a good life and get stuff done, our ability to focus is constrained in two main ways. Firstly, there's a finite, finite, I can't say that word, finite limit to how many things we can actually focus on at one time. And then secondly, our attention is limited because when we do focus on something, we can actually only hold a small amount of information in our short-term memory. So by not being able to focus on more than one thing, we are limited to how much we can achieve at any given time. And combine this with the fact that we can only hold at best seven pieces of unique information in our short-term memory, there's no wonder we become distracted or we lose focus. It's important to look at the world around us in terms of data and how we might be able to organize things a little bit better in order to stay focused. So for example, grouping your thoughts and ideas into groups of three or four can help. Pairing things together as one task might help you focus and using what you know about holding on to information. So think about it this way, you know, we can all recite the days of the week, the months of the year, and we can probably all hold a telephone number in our heads. But how do we do it? Well, for me, I chunk it. So if I've got a telephone number, I'm not going to be able to remember the 10 digits, 9 digits, 11 digits, whatever it is, all in one go. But I'll remember it like this. 07877-283491. Who else does that? So from here, he goes on to talk about filling our attentional space. And this I found incredibly interesting. This idea of attentional space. So what is that? When we choose to pay attention to something, the information occupies our short-term memory. And our attentional space ensures it keeps it active so we can continue to work on it. Our focus and attentional space are responsible for most of our conscious experiences. But the space is quite small. Even when we are daydreaming and focusing on nothing in particular, we are still filling our attentional space. And when we retrieve a memory like, I don't know, a friend's birthday or a date or something, we temporarily load this into our attentional space too. So try and think of our attentional space like a circle, an area or a space, which holds everything that you are aware of at that moment in time, whilst conscious. So have a think now what's occupying your attentional space right now at this very moment. What are you thinking about whilst this podcast episode is playing? I know that directing your attention to what you are actually thinking about can seem like a bit of an odd task, but it's useful to know what's holding our attention and filling our attentional space. It's an essential part of mindfulness and noticing what your mind is full of because it helps you to become more self-aware, which you guys know I'm a big believer in. 
With all this in mind, there are things that can pair well with your attentional space and you can manage at the same time if you're smart about it because not all things require a lot of the attentional space. So for example, he talks about and he gives this example that you can leave your phone on the dinner table during a meal and whilst it might distract you at times when messages pop up or notifications most of us are able to focus on the task of having dinner and conversation with our loved ones without letting it take up too much of our focus there are lots of other habits which we can perform without much thought and require minimal attentional space for example breathing walking chewing gum all of which can be performed whilst listening to an audiobook, let's say. But the audiobook will fill much more of your attentional space, and rightly so. In fact, we're more likely to perform these other tasks much better when we're working on unrelated tasks at the same time, if that makes sense. This happens when the other tasks are so automatic and don't require frequent mental interventions essentially we can fit more habitual tasks into our attentional space than we can demanding ones so if you're able to multitask then focus on doing a few small habitual tasks combined with one complex task that requires most of your focus however if you find yourself responding to an important task on autopilot mode the chances are you may be trying to cram too much into your attentional space and something's got to give. I mean, the last thing you want to do <laughs> is be walking out, listening to uh, an audiobook and walk into a lamppost because you were too focused on your phone. Let's say we've all been there. Close call. <laughs> so now that the author has explained how autopilot and the limits of our attention work, he goes on to explain the principles behind hyperfocus. And essentially, the purpose of this entire book. So, chapter three, the power of hyperfocus. What is hyperfocus? Think back to your last super productive workday, one where you accomplished a huge amount. The chances are you were probably focused on only one thing, driven by necessity or a deadline. And this task filled your attentional space. You probably avoided distractions and quickly got back on track after any interruption. You were working probably with intense focus and not frantically switching between tasks. If your attention wandered, which it most likely did at some point, you were able to steer it back to the task at hand. The work you were doing was probably at a comfortable level of difficulty too, which meant you were in your flow and time passed without you even realizing. On this day, you were actively in hyperfocus mode and your brain's most productive mode for work. We're all capable of this. And when you hyperfocus on a task, you expand one task or project until it fills your attentional space. When it comes to an important task like this, the fewer things you pay attention to, the more productive you can become. And this is what it's all about. If you want to be productive, the most meaningful task needs to fill your attentional space completely. It's simply non-negotiable. So how do we enter into this hyper-focus mode? The science suggests we pass through four stages as we begin to focus. 
you choose a productive or meaningful object or task that's going to fill your attention you eliminate as many external distractions and internal distractions too as you can focus on that chosen object or task of attention and then continually draw your focus back to that task or that object as you progress through it however choosing what to focus on is probably i would say the most important step for sure i know this all too well as when running my own business i find i have multiple plates spinning and lots of important tasks that are fighting for my attention but attention without intention is wasted energy so get organized and decide what you are going to focus on at any given time if you haven't already done so go back to the previous example the different types of tasks that i mentioned and maybe create like a four-way grid necessary work unnecessary work distracting work purposeful work and kind of rate all the tasks that you currently have to complete this will draw your attention to those that are necessary and productive ultimately the purposeful work that you need to complete and my own personal tip i would say when setting yourself up for a task is to not only limit or remove all distractions but to set yourself a time and put a timer on it i do this myself like every single day with work hence why i have my office space and my schedule and you know i lay out everything in my daily planner and i leave nothing to chance if you're looking to set yourself strong intentions then be specific about what you want to achieve by when and do this not only with your work tasks but other tasks throughout the day too for example schedule in the time that you plan to go to the gym or that you're going to work out plan to put your phone on airplane mode at a certain time so that you can switch off from work in the evening you know set yourself a bedtime routine and maybe even an alarm that goes off at 10 p.m so that you know when it's time to start winding down Beginning with this will help you to create a culture for hyperfocus rituals moving forward. And in the next chapter, the author goes on to talking about distractions and how to tame them. Because let's face it, we all encounter them, no matter how focused we may be or how focused we want to be. So chapter four, he talks about taming distractions. And he starts by explaining why we love distractions so much. <laughs> There's been numerous studies carried out all mentioned in the book which support the theory that we can be distracted during a task as often as every 40 seconds and that this can be from notifications popping up emails someone interrupting us a thought popping into our heads a whole host of things and the difficulty with this he says is that we don't instantly return to our work after becoming distracted he says it normally takes us a second or two before we actually return to the task at hand so now imagine you're working on a task and every 40 seconds there's something that's going to distract you. You can really only be productive for 40 seconds at a time. The four types of distractions he goes on to explain, he says, can be annoying distractions, fun distractions, distractions which you have no control over and distractions which you can control. And he puts these straight into a four-way grid and he gives examples of them. For example, an annoying distraction, which might be out of your control, would be a loud colleague, let's say in your office, which interrupts your work. Whereas a fun distraction 
within your control could be scrolling through social media at a time when you should be focused and working. He then goes on to suggest ways in which you might be able to become distraction-free, dealing with the distractions and then getting back on track, or pausing to enjoy the fun distraction for a short time, or dealing with the distraction ahead of time, so kind of preempting it. Now this I can totally relate to, especially as I said, you know, when I'm in my office and I need to get down to work, I tend to just lock myself away in here, like I have done right now as I'm recording this, distraction-free from others, apart from when Stitch kind of comes up to the door and meows, which sometimes you hear on my podcast. (laughs) And I also make a conscious effort to turn my phone face down on the desk. And even sometimes I turn it onto airplane mode so that it doesn't buzz as I'm working because I know that I really need to focus on the task at hand. So I try minimizing distractions by kind of preempting them and, you know, stopping it ahead of time, essentially. The other element to this chapter I really like is where he discusses how to work with reduced distractions. And he suggests that you can reduce them by simplifying your environment. So he talks about like clearing your desk before you start, decluttering your environment so that you are so that the only thing that you're focused on is the task that you need your attention on. He talks about listening to music, if this helps and keeps you calm and focused. It works for lots of people. It's not something that I'm accustomed to and that I use, but that's just me. I think I need a quiet space, to be honest, and I very rarely have anything on in the background. I find it actually distracts me. Um, He talks about clearing your mind first, and this might be through things like downloading your thoughts to paper before you start, or taking part in some meditation exercises beforehand. And then he also talks about working with purpose. So have the tasks laid out step by step, written down next to you and tick them off each time, like a little mini task list. And I definitely use this for sure. (laughs) From here, you're beginning to kind of make hyperfocus more of a habit each day, which leads on to chapter five, and he goes into more detail about how to make hyperfocus a habit. He starts by talking about what makes our minds wander. And as I mentioned earlier, it's normal for our minds to wander for several reasons. You know, we might be feeling bored or stressed. We are working in a chaotic environment. We're dealing with and thinking about a number of personal concerns. We're questioning whether we are working on the most productive or meaningful task. And finally, we might have unused attentional space, which makes us prone to mind-wandering. Depending on the complexity, tasks will require varying amounts of your attentional space. And if you're finding your mind is wandering, you may need to take on more complex tasks to fill your attentional space in order to remain hyper-focused. As well as taking on more complex tasks, he talks about expanding your attentional space and how this can offer huge benefits too as it allows for your mind to wander more productively and in this chapter the author goes on to in great detail when he talks about meditation again and how this can increase your attentional space gradually over time the smaller your attentional space is the more your mind will wander but the more you expand it the more you will be able to get back on track when your mind does wander and it's filled with more productive and focused tasks. However, no matter how much you are able to overcome 
when expanding your attentional space, you will still need to battle against the resistance and your mind when it wanders in order to stay hyper-focused. So this chapter suggests four main ways in which you might be able to do this. So he talks about saying that you can minimise the amount of time you dedicate to focusing on one particular task. So really narrow it down. He says that you can notice when you don't have time for something, an excuse that we all use, and you can learn to free up time in your schedule for that one specific task rather than using that excuse. He talks about continuing to practice this hyper-focus skill. You know, it's not something you will master straight away, but the more self-aware you become, the better at it you'll be long-term. And then he finally talks about recharging when you need to. Hyper-focus can be oddly energising as you spend less time regulating your behaviour when you don't have to continually resist distractions. But that being said... If you find yourself resisting more often, then perhaps this is a sign that you need to just take a step back, recharge, and reflect before zoning in to hyperfocus mode again. The power of hyperfocus is quite incredible when you think about it. You know, every idea in this book, or should I say in the first five chapters, is designed to help the reader deliberately learn how to manage their attention, and it's written with the hope that it will support those reading in terms of acting upon the advice and apply the techniques and methods in their own lives. I definitely found it an incredible read and really useful and it reminded me how to view my work as more purposeful and ensure that my daily tasks make my life meaningful. The entire book is based on a wealth of research and I'd highly recommend it. If you're in need of narrowing your focus and managing your time and attention better. The second half of the book explains the idea of scatter focus and how this can be utilised in an effective way because when our mind wanders, this is when we are most creative, he says. But perhaps I'll save that for another podcast episode and share that with you maybe in the next one. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this kind of mini book review and found some of the points I mentioned useful and perhaps you'll apply them into your own lives too. Feel free to DM me or message me on Instagram and if you found this podcast really useful then please do post it on your story and tag me. I'd love to know how you got on and what you thought of it. Speak to you all soon guys. Bye!